When your child is struggling, as a parent, you need support. Welcome to Beyond Risk and Back. I'm at the 46th Annual Psychotherapy Associates Winter Symposium. This is in Colorado Springs, and once again, I get my hands on the experts. The men and women who are speaking at this conference, the, the, the other people having booths here, this is where all the experts in the industry of mental health and addiction and recovery gather to share the information they have, and I want to get it into your hands. So thank you for joining me on this week's episode of Beyond Risk and Back. You know, it says in the, uh, in the big book that uh, working, working peer-to-peer is, is without comparison, yeah. like, like that there is not a... Um, you can work with doctors, you can work with therapists, you can work with counselors and stuff, but when you work with another addict, or if, if you've got someone with bipolar and they're working with someone who has struggled with bipolar and has found resource and success, that you can't beat that. Right, and like community and connection, right? So like, you know, I'm not, it doesn't take away the importance of clinical services, right? We need to have those. It kind of sets us up and makes the foundation stronger. It's the walls. But like, I'm not calling my therapist at 11 o'clock at night on a Friday. And if I don't have my peers and if I don't have my community, like I'm going back to the group that I knew. Right. right? Like that's where I want to be. I want to be around those people because they accepted me. Yeah. And it's familiar. It's the old pair of pants. Absolutely. Burke, uh, talk to the parents about where you're from, what you're doing. Uh, talk about how we connected here real quick. Yeah, yeah. So my name is Rourke Weaver. I'm the executive director of Sparrow Recovery Center. Um, we just opened in August in Evergreen, Colorado, and really the kind of emphasis was, you know, similar to what I just said of, you know, if there's so many clinical services out there, maybe what we should look at is how do we increase peer services in the residential setting. Um, there are a lot of after kind of preventative services, there are treatment services, and then there are recovery services. Right. We see a lot of peer services on either side. We see nothing in the middle. So we wanted to create something at the residential treatment side that, that functioned similarly to a residential, but was all peer-run, peer-led. So how do parents, you know, so much, the, the number one complaint I'm hearing from parents a lot is this, this, this group of friends he's got, this group of friends he's For got, sure. right? Sure. And, yeah. and that makes sense. And my, my, what I say to parents when I hear I don't like the friends they're hanging out with is, hey, you know other parents are saying that about your kid, right? And totally. that, that puts it in a different perspective. So how do we begin to justify having peers who are just getting their own, and let's, let's face it, you get six months in, clean, you feel really good, you're Doing like, great. I got this, I'm going to change my diet, I'm going to change my life, I'm going to change this, great, man. and I'm going to go out and I'm going to help everybody. Yeah. And honestly, man, two years in, that's a good time to really start helping. Yeah. But there's never that 12 step that doesn't, you don't, that, that's, that's from the beginning. You always got to reach You're out to others. That, right? So talk about how we move from a peer set that's going to be uh, uh, risky to a peer set that's going to be constructive to recovery. Right. And, you know, it's, they may not look, and here's the thing it's like a parent's going to say, like, <laughs> Well, that's not what, that's not healthy. And it's like, absolutely, I want them. If they're 18, like the hardest thing for me, I got sober at 21 and I, I knew that my life was over, that I was never going to get to be a kid again. Right. And that I was just going to have to be sober and I just was going to do it for my parents because I didn't want them to bury me, but I, my life would suck and it would be fine. Right. That was the choice, right? And then it was, 
when I got into recovery and I found that peer group that was, no, man, we're staying up till two in the morning. We're smoking cigarettes and we're talking, you know, we're talking recovery. And like two thirds of that is not something that a parent may want for their child. Right. Yeah. Right. But because I had that experience, because I felt like I still got to be a re- like rebellious <laughs> asshole kid, you know, I was able to do recovery. Right. Like, and I dived, I mean, dived head first into recovery because I found my peers. And so it's not creating a peer group that is going to meet the parents' expectations. It's creating a peer group that meets the recovery expectations. That's brilliant because look, when we get, we really are looking at a group of group of youth, young men, young women who have an experience of racing to the bottom and the war stories and them all talking about well i was going through this and going through this but honest to god it was some of those 2 a.m meetings at perkins where i'm down in milkshakes talking to a sponsor but i'm you know i'm talking about recovery i'm not out using and we would i mean it's just you know we're in a garage chain smoking (laughs) cigarettes because we're still just a bunch of kids who are trying to be rebels yeah. And but but in that garage smoking cigarettes, we were talking about how you doing? Like, why aren't you getting to that meeting? No, if you're going to get a job, you need to shave your beard. Yeah. Like, you need to look like an adult. Like we were having those conversations and then also making fun of each other nonstop, throwing things, you know, destroying walls like we were having both. And it was both in. And, and I think it's so challenging for families to recognize, like, no, they're still kids. And we need to let them be kids. Especially if they've been using and they have any delayed in development because of the drugs. Totally. And I was 21 going on 14. (laughs) There was was a whole lot of life that I needed to experience. And I needed to feel like that was okay. And that was the hardest part that I think for me was accepting that that was okay to be a kid still. Developmentally, having a unique peer group supports brain development. Like this is something that must happen between the ages of 12 and 18. And again, if we've delayed development because of using drugs or self-harm or anything that we're putting yeah, into all our of system. The above for me, right. Yeah. You know, it's it, it this is something that lasts. And so we're still fulfilling that need. You have a tribe, you got a unique group. They understand the shit you're going right. through. But a lot of parents are feeling like they're having to say yes to a lesser of two evils. Yeah, and I can see why, right? It makes sense why. Um, I don't know if though, like, I think it, it's conveying to the family that, you know, it, as long as we hold strong boundaries, like it's that whole, you know, truth and love, right? Like, truth without love is cruelty. Love without truth is just codependent. Right. right? And right. so like, how do we find that middle ground? And as long as that's maintained, I think the, 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 the young adult, the emerging adult is really given the opportunity to make their own decisions. And like, as soon as my folks were like, see a kid and we'll help you, but only if you meet us halfway. Right. And everything else is on you. This is your choice, your life. And like, you are an adult now. And so here's how we can help. And here are the rules. And as long as I stayed within that, like they were good. And it, but it gave me the space to to still be a kid, 
but also strive for something. How do you coach the peer mentors to actually get in there and not just be vent buddies, but actually to get in there and allow space for people to bitch about their parents or their job or their totally. boss, or, but then also just say, okay, now let's step out of this and forward into our recovery. I mean, that's the beauty of peerness, right? Because like, I was that guy complaining about everything when I was a kid, right? Like right. I was six months sober and I was like, where's the girlfriend? Where's, where's the, the $100,000 job? <laughs> And where's my rich house? I got it together. Where right, isn't yeah. anybody meeting me? I here? deserve. Right. I, I deserve this. I own this. Where's yeah. my parade? Totally. Yeah. Right? You know, and there was and like and there was those that peer group that was like, shut up, kid. We're going <laughs> to a meeting. Uh, and but that's where, you know, having the peers like they know that because I've been there. Like I've walked that path and I get to be like, let it out, dude. It's all good. Okay, here's the truth now. And when I say that, they know, like, and I can be like, here's my story of when I was six months sober, yada, 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 and here's the truth. And it rings for them because they see at least some part of me in them. Right. And I think that's the challenge with families and doctors and therapists because they create a power differential, right? Where we're trying to create equal playing field, where we're saying, look, no, like, here's my story. Can you relate to that? And if you can, that's all that matters. And I don't have to one-up you. By nature of understanding that you've walked through, we've walked the similar path, you will by nature look to me for answers. And I don't have to create anything fake based off of that. Right. How, how long in before you say to someone, you can start talking to someone else and giving some advice? Um, this is a good question. I mean, now we're bringing up stuff of belief systems, right? When is somebody able to give advice? Yeah, and, but, but, but I think what's, what's important is that you and I both know that one day at an NA meeting, and you got a leg up for a friend who still hasn't... I mean, okay, so yeah, we're on you know, the same page, Yeah, right? of like, course. I don't care if you have 30 seconds sober, you right. have something more that maybe somebody else doesn't. You see, it's important for you to say that because my parents... The, the parents who listen to this, like this is two years in and their kids are, they're, they're not going to school and they, right. they, they've tried a treatment program and have failed. And you know, you're, you're wondering, you got to send them to wilderness. You got to do this. Yeah. And suddenly they're hanging out with this group and this group is drinking monsters and smoking cigarettes. Yeah, and Just being a bunch of assholes. <laughs> yeah, totally. And they're very opinionated and they, oh, and suddenly, super. Oh my, is, is the 12 step, are they a cult? What is this? Is this a new religion? And what do they mean? Yeah, higher power full, Head and on. parents don't know because part of the anonymity is is that this is belongs to us. So I want parents to hear the truth about peer mentorship right. and recovery. Well, and absolutely, and, and I get to own you know for a kid who's eighteen, a kid who's twenty one, a kid who's sixteen, even for them to get to own something. And if, we got to think addiction too. So they've lost most things. The only thing they had was their addiction, and their parents have mostly been the the guide right. their entire life. So they've never owned something right and like my I got to own my recovery it was the first thing I really got to own oh, that's really interesting and it was mine and I got to be an adult in it and I got to be somebody that was that was unique and, and had value in the community right. that wasn't based off of my parents efforts or anybody else's like I owned that little piece so yeah I kept it to myself as a kid like we didn't I didn't want to share it with my family like this was mine right and and that was, it reinforced the desire to work at it, right? And so, like, it was, I think with families, the best thing is, is, you know, just finding that space of self-support. Like, if my loved one or my child's going to do it, then I should emulate the same skills. Right. And that means Al-Anon or ACA or something like that or, like, 
therapy, whatever it is, like I should be doing, I should show my loved one the same effort that they're putting in. If they're going, like if they're going to do it and they're going to hit 90 meetings in 90 days, the least I can do is like start seeing a therapist and start working on my part. That's a big deal. Like, like we really are uh, uh, entering into a new place where we stop saying my teen's in recovery and we start saying the whole family's in recovery because exactly. we're all traumatized by this We've thing. All been it. We all screwed up. We yep. all, everything we did got us to this point. And if we're going to get past it, we all got to do something right. different. And everybody's got trauma, right? Like no one gets out of this world alive. Right. And so, you know, we, we all own our part. If there's one thing I learned in recovery is it doesn't matter what it was. Like I had a part in it. Yeah. And like the family can do that too. And it doesn't mean it's their fault doesn't mean that the family's at fault for the child being addicted. And I think parents often go to that. It's my fault. And it's not. It isn't. This is a systemic failure. You, there's, a, there's a thousand there's so many factors. outlets that this could've got been plugged anything, into. Yeah, right? yeah, like, yeah. Could have been anything that triggered that thing. But yeah. that doesn't mean that the family hasn't been affected. And it doesn't mean the family doesn't have a part in the whole system. Right. So being able to work on it, I think, is incredibly important to show that loved one like, look, no, I'm doing my own thing, too, and right. I'm working on it. And, like, we'll hold each other accountable. It changes the paradigm of the, you know, parent-child relationship and says the parent can actually show some humility to their child and say, look, i got to work on things, too. Yeah. And it yeah. gives the child the space to be wrong and not feel ashamed of that or not feel ashamed of when they misstep. Because recovery, like, every day I fail. And it's my ability, you know, I, I, I talked to another person about like jujitsu and like, and recovery and the com combination of the two. And like, if I'm not failing, I'm not growing. Right. And like, so recognizing the failure is not bad, but I think in the family dynamic as a whole is the parents are seen as these like infallible law enforcing rule holders. Right. 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 And we want to change that. We want to change that in recovery and say, no, we have to work on things too. And we have to be human as well. It gives the kid the opportunity to be like, all right, I can't like, I feel supported. I feel nurtured. I don't feel ashamed of my recovery. You know, it's, you know, cool. you said something like you don't learn anything sparring with white belts. Like you got to get your butt handed to you. Dude. Over yeah, yeah, and yeah. over. And you got to lose to a white belt every you, once in a while. Every now too, and then, right? because you you're know? getting someone in who's got a black belt somewhere else. Did wrestling in college. <laughs> and you're like, I can oh, tell man. by your ears. Yeah. Um, hey, Burke, talk about your own personal path for a minute. So parents know they're talking to someone who's been through the game. Yeah. So, you know, essentially um, I got, I grew up in Colorado, wonderful family. I had a great loving family, you know? They tried to do the best they could with me. And it just like, I, I had it at a young age, whatever it was, whatever triggered that thing, like the moment I tasted booze, it was like, this is what it's like to feel okay. Yeah. This is how it feels to feel normal. Uh, and I had been hunting that feeling for a long time. And, uh, and I was, you know, I basically made a promise to myself at 12 years old that if this is what it feels like to be okay, I'm going to hunt this feeling for the rest of my life. And that landed me. My, my buddy always talks about first drink, last drink, what it's like now, right? So last drink was, I'm, you know, essentially the doctor's given me 12 months to live. I woke up in Steamboat. I was a ski instructor, yada, yada, and I was living in Steamboat. I woke up in the ICU to the doctors, the cops, and, the do and my parents, like, you can't be here anymore. They kicked me out of Steamboat. I was living in my folks' house swearing, like, no, it's the depression. It's, I just didn't feel comfortable there. And, like, all these things, like, 
and I'm 21, like everybody drinks like this. No, they don't get a year to live. Right. Like the doctor doesn't say, hey, look, I'm sorry, but if you don't change things, like you aren't going to live much longer. I had two withdrawal seizures, ICU for five days. Uh, I was talking to things that weren't there. And wow. I am down in Boulder and like tried a couple hands at this, was promising my family, like, no, I'll stay sober for 30 days, could only make it two weeks, thought it was a month. Uh, like my brain played crazy tricks on me. And so point being, <clears throat> um, I finally got to that place, right? And I was, I was alone, I was scared. I couldn't stop drinking and I thought this was the end. And I was really fortunate to get a couple phone calls in one day and kind of this, you know, whatever that snap was, the yep. snap happened yep. and it was just willingness. It wasn't like I was done drinking, right? I was just like, maybe I can try something else. Uh, other than this like white knuckling, two middle fingers up in the world, like don't you talk to me, you don't know me. Uh, and it was like, maybe I can listen to somebody for a minute. And that person got me into a room in a young people's group. And they basically just said, like, that group just, like, I mean, we bonded like metal, dude. Like, everybody in there was this group that was new, this group that had a year. And we all bonded like metal. And for the next five years, we didn't leave each other's sides. So essentially, that's what we've re tried to recreate. We'll get back to our guests in just a second. I got to make a quick shout out to two organizations that have really helped out Fire Mountain and Beyond Risking Back at our booth here at the Winter Symposium. First is Guayaki Yerba Mate. They have given us cases and cases of this amazing, incredible drink to hand out to other people, to get people in the industry of mental health and addiction to understand the benefits of Guayaki Yerba Mate and brain recovery, brain building. I could, I could spend an entire episode, which I did, by the way, with one of the co-founders, David Carr. So go listen to that Beyond Risk and Back episode. And you can always Google benefits, scientific benefits, scientific research behind Yerba Mate. And you will understand why we give this drink out to people in the industry. This is a hidden gem that is getting more and more popular. So please support us being supported by Guayaki Yerba Mate and go pick yourself up a can and get some for your teens. And then second, I need to thank Psychotherapy Associates Winter Symposium people themselves for letting us be here and broadcasting this show and helping us email all of the speakers to get the information, the, 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 the new cutting edge research in brain development, addiction recovery, mental health. And I get to interview these incredible people and get their information into your heads, parents. So thank you to Winter Symposium and thank you to Guayaki. Okay, let's get back to our guest. You know, speaking of these these amazing guests and speakers and stuff, Burke here um, has been t telling us about his experience uh, in the past, getting sober first and last. Um, and now you guys are next to me, booth net, right next to each other. Uh, you guys have a, an amazing booth. You know, at the beginning of this, when we were talking about this peer-to-peer -peer thing, right? You, we gave this image that, that I know a lot of parents have. We're going to be, you know, three of us, six of us, 
you know, hanging out in a garage, totally. smoking cigarettes, playing music, neighbors are complaining, but yeah. at least we're not using, at least right, we're not out right. committing crimes. But you guys are much more than that. You, you're, totally. You've got oversight on these kids. You've got, so yeah. talk about your program. Give us a rundown here. Yeah, so essentially I worked at an organization. It was a nonprofit. It was called the Phoenix. And no, Phoenix very, very well. We were down in Boulder at the same time they got started. Awesome. So I was there. I was employee number five. I spent eight Excellent. years working there. Um, we used to bring our kids to you guys. Dude, awesome. Like, yeah, so we've, yeah, we've had, our paths have crossed somehow. Yeah, somewhere. they have. Because um, I opened up, you know, I opened up California, Denver. I was helped with some stuff with that. And so, uh, anyways, it was, it was all recovery-oriented. It was peer-based, and we saw every day the kind of quality that came out of that. And so, and then moving into, I left Phoenix after eight years, went into the treatment world. Right. And I got so tired of telling families like sorry it's thirty thousand dollars or your out-of-pocket deductible is 15k right and the family's just being like i, I don't know what to tell you I, I can't afford that and so we haven't solved that entirely but we wanted to do something that was more affordable it was a non-profit and then obviously bring in the peer components so right. peer run peer led affordable non-profit like that was kind of the dream goal and what came from what was born from that was sparrow so 30-day program. It's $5,400. Um, residential or it's day? It's residential. Right. So they can stay on site. We keep them for a month. They go to 12-step programming in the morning. We have a full woodworking shop. We cook our own meals. Uh, we do community service projects. And we're in the, we're right in Evergreen. So we do like experiential, like hiking and yeah. outdoors. Evergreen's amazing. So we want amazing. it to be like we're doing stuff. We're projecting, which, you know, they asked, like, how do you do a, how do you do a clinical group? And I was like, you do a woodworking shop, like, right. that's peer-based. How do you do a clinical group that's peer-based? Woodworking. Like, everybody comes together, and instead of, like, Johnny, tell me your story, we are, like, we're building boxes. And I go, Johnny, where are you from, dude? Like, Steve over here, I think, is from the same place. And we start the staff create an experience for them where they're building stuff. They're focusing on these projects, and they're talking about their life. Age. Age, age range. 18 and up. 18 and up. We're going to generally work with a younger population just by nature of, like, Mike, the culture I'm going to build. And, like, course. you know, it's in the outdoorsiness. But um, we take all ages. Men and women? Men right now. We intend to have a women's program. Got We're going it. through the zoning process. We have two facilities. Um, we just need to get the second one zoned for it. How long have you guys been open? We opened in August. That's phenomenal. We came up with the idea in February. Wow. I mean, just like an idea. Wouldn't it be cool if, and, like, Four months later, we had two properties. Two months after that, we were opening up programming. Like, we've gone from zero to 100 in, like, a very short amount of time. And uh, we're really proud of what we're, like, we're excited. I love, you guys have made a lot of progress. And, and as, you know, for someone who's been in the industry for 20 years, I can look at you guys and say, man, they're still in cowboy mode. And I yeah, love that. I love sure. the energy. Yep. I love the commitment. I love the the idea that you're like, we're going to make this. We're going to do it right. We're going to, and and my only bit of advice is, my God, keep that. Because this is a tough industry to, to have longevity in. Like, no, you, I hear you, man. I mean, like, it's been 11 years now that I've been playing around in this group and like, I've seen the guys, re I've seen the executives relapse because ego yeah, takes in. Yeah, yeah. I've seen the programs just get money oriented and, right, and sure. you lose your culture and you lose your spirit. Yeah. Like, and 
you nailed it, right? Like, how do you keep the stoke with these guys so that every day they're like, it feels good. It feels like I want it to feel. I want to feel like I'm impacting people's lives. And it's not about the money and it's not about the ego. And like, how do you keep that culture intact? And like, that's everything to us. Did you guys, did, when you were down in Boulder, did you ever do the weekend warriors, uh, a 12 step meeting over there at the St. Anthony's? Dude, for sure. That's I where didn't I've do seen it you. Often, <laughs> that's, but like, that I was is, there. That is where I've seen you. Because yeah. I know I look around and when you were talking about that peer mentoring, it's like your, your parents get upset because you're still hanging around with this group that looks pretty ragamuffin. Oh, and dude, I was looking at yeah. you and I'm like, I'm not sure my mom would be like, who's that, Aaron? <laughs> dude, You're like, yeah. ah, no. But that's where I've seen you before is that, you know, because uh, those are old stomps, man. I had a, tw- a six-inch mohawk. Yes! I was running around with tattoos all over. Like, I, I needed those things, right? Like, yes. And I was the guy whose parents were like, I don't know about that kid. And I certainly, my parents just saw all my buddies and they had ear piercings, yeah, yeah, lip yeah. rings, and everything. And like, but what they didn't see was what was happening. And what happened every night when we got together and I will tell you that all those guys and girls of that group of 30 almost all of us are still sober man and like if we can recreate that experience that I had like we're gonna do big things right and not just not just sparrow but yeah. as a community if we as a community recognize the power of peerness and the power of community and culture like we will do big things and we are getting there. Slowly, we are getting there, though. You were also at the, um, the, 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 the young ones meetings there in Boulder as well. Campus the, group, dude, the, was like. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah a, that was Because those are the ones we brought our kids to. Yep. All right. So, listen, how, do, how, are, how are parents going to get more information on Sparrow? Um, the best way to get involved or to find out a little bit more of Sparrow is go to the website. Um, it's sparrowrecoverycenter.org. We are a nonprofit, so right. ORG. I'll O-R-G. just throw that out again. That's awesome. Because that's been one of those things that they're like, we did.com. Um, but it is Sparrow Recovery Center in Evergreen. Check out the videos. Check out a little bit more. If anybody has questions, the numbers on the, the website, you're going to get me or you're going to get Jen if you call. I know you guys have Instagram. You got, you we got, got the, the big Facebook. five. We got, yeah, we got Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, all five. Great. You can find us on those. Definitely check out the Facebook page. We're pretty active on both Instagram and Facebook. Um, any video, like any videos we do, any pictures we take, if you want to get a feel for who we are, it's a great way to check it out. I think one of the most important things you've, you've given parents here is talking to them about this peer group in recovery and how important it is, even though these guys all still look like they use, totally. even though these girls yep. still look like even they're pretty more so strung sometimes, out. Right? Sometimes, yeah. this is the group your kid needs to be hanging out with. Totally. And by God, get them some chicken fingers and yep. let them use your garage. <laughs> totally. And get them out there. Man. Let them be loud. Bert, yeah. thanks so much. Uh, stick around for a second while I sign us off. Appreciate it. This has been another episode of Beyond Risk and Back. Thank you so much for joining me, parents. Please remember to give us a listen, a like, a subscribe, and share us with your friends, other parents who need the support. I have a few people I'd like to thank. First is Frazier PR. I'd also like to thank Your Cause Consulting. And I need to give a shout out to Deepin Productions. As always, thank you to Mental Health News Radio for hosting this show. And I'd like to thank Guayaki. Guayaki has sponsored our booth here at the Winter Symposium. And of course, all my fans everywhere all over the world, thank you so much for making Beyond Risk and Back a number one parenting podcast. Remember, parents, take care of yourself first, your adult relationships second, and your children third, because in that way, we do our best work with our children. I'll see you next week.